Open, if you would, uh, to your Bibles, Proverbs chapter 3. I wanted to kind of give an overview of what happened to me this last week uh, before we actually get into the lesson. And um, you all were praying for me. Uh, Those of you who don't know, I uh, was adopted uh, before I was born. I was still in my mother's womb. Uh, I was conceived illegitimately. And she hid the pregnancy and moved from, on her own, from Amsterdam to Germany to work at a hospital to hide the pregnancy. Um, And when I was born, I was born um, in critical condition. They had uh, selected the coffin, and um, that's a whole other story. Um, She went back to... Amsterdam and didn't tell her parents that she had birthed a child, me. So we'll talk about me later. That's not the purpose of this message. Over the years, she was bearing an extreme guilt for giving me up. In the hallway, the adoption was set up in such a way that she could not know the the details of the birth parents or everything, but she overheard Nurses talking in the hallway, a name, Charlie Morse, and she had the date. So she hid those two bits of information and for over the years just stewed in guilt for all that she had committed, which was, she didn't, I mean, I'm glad she did what she did. Well, come the advance of the internet and findme.com. And three more siblings that were born, two sisters and a brother, to another marriage, to another man. And in uh, the late 90s, she urged one of her daughters to try to find me. So for 40 bucks and about five minutes later, she had an address. She had my name. And um, they all came out. They were living in Costa Rica now to visit me. And she wanted to plead her case and ask for repentance for aborting me or putting me up for adoption at that time. And she said, I just want to make this a church experience. I explained to her, I'm so glad you did. I came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, Christian parents. We moved to Southern California. I mean, come on. I mean, it was great. We were on the beach, you know. And I was raised uh, in such a great environment. Uh, but uh, anyway, long story short, she says, I want to make this a religious experience. Can, can we go to church? Yeah, we can go to church. We were going to MacArthur's church at the time. And uh, so that night, they had baptisms, kind of like what we do baptisms. And so she heard the testimony of about 20 people, the gospel, over and over and over again. And that was probably the th- one question she wished she hadn't asked. And um, Unitarian... Um, and, and basically just a wonderful family. But uh, I shared the gospel with her. It came to a point in time when she didn't want to hear the gospel anymore. But we had a loving relationship. Um, and they all went back to Costa Rica. I didn't meet my brother, just my two sisters. And um, I said, I'd love to come and visit. Didn't want me to come and visit. So we had this phone relationship about every two or three uh, months. Well, um, I was talking to a friend about a month ago, and I said, you know, I, I was explaining to my friend this, this situation, and, 
And my friend said, well, when's the last time you talked to your mom? She's 89. I said, oh, a couple months ago. And my friend said, you should probably give her a call and make sure she's doing okay. I gave her a call, found out she's in critical condition in Costa Rica, called, and they said, you need to come and visit. So you are all praying. So on Monday, I was on a plane, visited her, and um, first time saw my brother and had just a wonderful three days. And she stayed alive. They, she was in critical condition, got worse. And last week they said, well, we're going to lose her. And she held on just so that she could see all four uh, of us together with her um, one last time before she departed this earth. So anyway, that's what my family looks like. They don't look like me, do they? My brother weighs exactly the same weight, same height. Um, he has the same mannerisms. He's, he, he's just like me. You can't put him in a box, and you can't really define him. Uh, but um, they have a different uh, philosophy about life, a different perspective that does it's not um, what we believe in, but they're just wonderful, wonderful folks. We had a chance to talk, and, um, and so we've kindled that relationship. What's interesting is that uh, I got on the plane on Wednesday, talked to my mom, we spent a long time with her. She could just barely talk but would muster the strength. Said goodbye to her on Wednesday. By the time I got home at 10.38 on Wednesday night, she departed this earth. So you're all praying. So who knows? And I, I, th- I appreciate Pastor Tom saying we just never know if someone, even in that state of consciousness, they have all the information that they would reach out to Jesus Christ and ask for um, salvation. Just that the, the thief on the cross was our gift to all of you who have family members that you just don't know if they accepted Christ or not. How long did it take the thief on the cross to turn and, and embrace Christ? What, a second or two seconds? Had the information, and that's, that's our gift to us is what happened on the cross, and that's what I pray happened. So I have a, a brother, and I've got two sisters. Wow, you know, incredible. So I know you'd all be interested in, in seeing all that. And um, they had her memorial yesterday on the top of a, a mountain. Um, and so I heard that it went really well. Um, before we kind of go into Proverbs today, well, I want to say that in the span of, just to let you know, of one and a half years, just thinking about it, I was reflecting that yesterday. I've said goodbye to three incredible women in my life. Grandma Fern, about a year and a half ago. And then, of course, my beautiful bride, Patty, about eight months ago. And now, my birth mother. Just, you know, you just think about all the things that happened to us and just the, the trek God has for us. And I just took a step back and I said, wow, incredible. Each, each of these women, you think about it, they were strong, they were kind. And you knew Patty and you knew Grandma Fern, some of you did, tender hearted. And they had backbones. They were women. They were women's women. They were ten- tenacious, determined. I think about a mom who didn't abort me, but went all the way to Germany to hide a pregnancy. And the Dutch and the Germans don't have a very good relationship, especially post-World War II. And she did that for me. Think about that. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the tenacious and courageous work of that woman. You know, characteristics of some of the women pictured in the Bible, Sarah, Ruth, Naomi, just to name a few. And then I thought, life changes so fast, and we never know what's around the next corner. But you know what Yahweh does, right? Our Lord Jesus Christ does. And, and, and where do we turn to when we basically 
get to these situations where we have to say goodbye or we come up against some incredible trials and temptations, we turn to him. And that's really what the focus is today of this passage. And I, I wanted to just go over a few things about Proverbs, kind of do the lesson stuff first, because the whole chapter is really applicational. The whole chapter is really preachy, if you will. So I wanted to kind of review some of the things, because we're in Proverbs right now. And I think the tendency for us is to take Proverbs and just kind of, you know, break it apart. And as, as all of the teaching that you're going to get, is it's, it's a cohesive unit. And, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But I think we need to understand, first of all, that, that no proverb or section tends to be exhaustive. We need to look at the whole word of God. And if you have your little cameras, you can take these slides are going to be posted tomorrow with my message. So if you want to go back and look at this, I'm going to go back through this very quickly. But they should be understood in terms of the context, the language, the language of Scripture, the, the section of Proverbs of where that proverb remains. There are certain things that are in this section that pertain to wisdom and the advantages of wisdom. And, you know, we see some of these verses and memes on the internet and they've been taken out of context. And so we need to be careful about that. They must be understood in the terms of the context, the language, the particular section of Proverbs, the, the book of Proverbs, the writings of Solomon, the wisdom sections of the Old Testament, the complete Old Testament in the entire Bible. So there's these layers that determine the meaning of, of Proverbs, and we need to bring all of that into view. So if there's something unclear, we don't base our theology on that one verse, but then we actually we, we look and we see more clear passages uh, it demands to be interpreted in the cultural and historical settings of the time in which it was written. Uh, Proverbs should not be taken absolute, unconditional. They're axioms, and that's been explained by Dwight, that they're general principles. I mean, if, 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 if I die of cancer tomorrow, these wouldn't apply, to, you know, uh, specifically. But in general, I had a great life up until that point. So we need to understand the fact that Romans 8.28 pertains to our life as well. So we need to look at all things, everything, all the good and bad that we experience. So, so these are just axioms. And there are some poetic figures of speech and we need to consider those when we, when we look at Proverbs. There's parallelism. It's not rhyme, but it's parallelism. And sometimes the, the author will switch words on us. And, and there's, why did he use this word and this word? Or is he emphasizing something? So that's something that we need to understand. And we need to make sure that we don't extrapolate some of the Proverbs out there for selfish motives. I want to go out and buy a pink Cadillac because I've been promised riches even in chapter 3. And if a problem is unclear, we break out other translations. We have so many good um, opportunities to, to cross-check and get really good background on Proverbs. There's so many good things out there, good writers on Proverbs. And then interpret the proverb first, understand it, then draw the application and timeless principles in light of the interpretation. This is probably most important. That How does this thing apply to me? We need to understand it in relationship to how it was written we draw that principle out, kind of like that Mike Ferbara's illustration, we study the Bible, and then apply it to our application here. And that's what we're going to do today in, in, in chapter 3. So there they are. They'll be posted tomorrow, so you don't have to be busy. Or if you have a camera, you can real quick take a picture of it with your phone. 
just in another review too, we're talking about Solomon. This is, he probably wrote these things at the height of his, his incredible wealth and all of the things that he was doing. Remember, he prayed for wisdom. God, I can't do this. I, I can't rule. And God gave him wisdom, and we've gone over that over and over and over again. And the Queen of Sheba gives us this report. She comes, and wow, she's just blown away. Not so much about the riches, but she's blown away about the wisdom from this man's mouth that comes from Yahweh. And this is his influence. This is his empire. I mean, this guy has it all. And then look at the network. It's just incredible. His, his economic enterprises. I mean, he didn't, he didn't own the world, but he had influence all over the world. That was some of his wealth right there. Incredible, incredible, incredible. So how did wisdom affect his life? Well, it affected in a lot of ways. Uh, spiritual wisdom, personal wisdom, family wisdom, intellectual wisdom, the marketplace wisdom. This is where we saw the, the riches. And then, of course, societal wisdom or how you interact. And so today we're going to be focusing on the spiritual wisdom. But when we apply Proverbs in our life, it's going to affect us wholly because what goes on inside of us is going to change us. It's going to make us different. It's going to affect our spheres of influence, not only with our family, but our work and what we do. So wisdom permeates everything in our lives. There's his net worth. He was rich. So let's get back to the preachy part, the, the, the application, the, the Proverbs chapter 3. And now this is where I go into my introduction. The introduction is going to be a little bit longer, but it, it, we need to have a good long introduction because I want you to approach chapter 3 now as a whole. Uh, we always kind of go to verse 5 and 6, right? But it's all connected and Solomon's giving us this whole chapter, and, and this is going to become a template, hopefully, in your life. And I hope you take it from today and study it and start meditating on this, this book. What authority do you place or put your trust in is really the, the question that, 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 that Solomon is asking. You know, I just finished writing a 160-page project for TMS, and, and when it's all said and done... Uh, what this paper is really asking is, what's your authority in life? Is it the word of God? Uh, are you trusting in the creator's word when he says that he spoke the creation into existence? Or are you trusting in a guy in a white lab coat over there that says something completely different, and you're going to take his interpretation of creation and overlay it on the words of Moses? You know, Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what's seen was not made out of things that are visible. Are you going to trust in this authority? Or are you going to trust in the authority that you, that you listen to on, on TV, or Discovery Channel, or National Geographic, or whatever it is that's contradicting the word of God? And there appears, appears many different sources of authority in which people base their philosophy or re religion or their worldview world or their view of science. You know, my beautiful newfound family sat down with me on Wednesday night and they were poking to see what makes me tick. And you know, your families do that, especially families who don't have the same 
same philosophy, you know. They're going to be listening to this message too. Because they said, you're going to tell everyone about us? Yeah, I'm going to show pictures. Oh, really? So they're going to listen to this message. And they're wonderful. And, and they have a source of authority. And they told me their source of authority. And I told them my source of authority. And we discussed it very candidly and lovingly. And we walked away friends and family. But what are the different sources of authority in which people base their philosophy? There's, there's naturalism, right? That claims authority by the cosmos. It was uh, the, the, the creation or the, the cosmos. Everything that's, that's here in this world is interpreted by evolution or natural selection. We have rationalism. No, it's the human mind, human reason. That's the authority. I, I reason in my mind, therefore I am. Or, or postmodernism that says, okay, you know, we have these absolutes, but let's vote on it. And survey says, right? It's a collective consensus. Or, or there's the authority concocted in our own mind. So, we, you know, you talk to someone who says, well, I have this view, and this is what I believe. You know, you can trust the Bible, but this is what I view. And then you have this consumer religion that's out there that, that says, have it your way. Have it your own philosophy. No rules. My rules. It feels good to do it my way. I worship God on Sunday on my jet ski, and that's my form of worship. Oh, really? And when I go to heaven, he's going to honor that. Oh, really? You know, and we forget the hand that reached out and grabbed the ark when it was falling off the cart. And what did God do? Uzziah was struck dead immediately because they were doing it their way and not God's way. And we, we, we kind of think, oh, worship is just so easy, feely, good, you know, inside. But yet God has a standard. And he, he wants us to do it a certain way. And David learned that day, I got I to gotta fear and respect my God. I love my God. But the next time he did it, boy, he did learn his lesson, didn't he? Because he wasn't doing it his way. He was doing it God's way. And that's why the Burian church in the New Testament, we say that's Old Testament, Chaz. No, the Burian church, they got it. They would hear the words of the apostles. And what did they do? <laughs> they went to Scripture and they tested the words of even the apostles by Scripture. And they were more noble than the Thessalonian church. You know, we should understand that. That it's not, you know, a Burger King slogan. It's not no rules out back. It's no, hey, I worship my, my, my God on a jet ski on Sunday. No, God has defined what he expects. That's why the elders here at CPC, you know, that's why Brian and Dwight, that's why we spend so much time studying on, you know, to prepare for even teaching the word. This is serious business. You know, we remind ourselves that in James chapter 3, you know, we're going to be held to a stricter judgment. Do you realize that? That haunts me, and I know it haunts them. You know, I don't want to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and say, you got it wrong. And they don't either. This is serious stuff. Because we're not here to talk about our words, our way. No, we're here to talk about what God has communicated in his word from Genesis to Revelation. Revelation. 
Proverbs 3, we, we, we all have an authority, and it begins and ends with these pages in God's word. But understand this axiom. Every person, all of us, have a foundational authority in which we base everything that we believe in. And what is that authority? Well, textbook. It's the Bible. We're in kindergarten, and we're doing a Bible quiz. What's your authority? Bible. And we all get the answer right, but are we really living that way? Don't be too quick to answer that question. Don't be too quick, Chaz, to answer that question. Is it really? Do we really live by that rule in practice? And Solomon's going to ask that one question all the way through this chapter. There's traps out there, aren't there? Traps. Tradition. For some Christians, it's tradition. This is what the church has always taught me. That's what my Sunday school teacher taught me. It just feels right. It's what my parents believe. So I don't care what's in this book. I'm just going to go by tradition. Or experience. You know, it's feelings. Yes, I I can't show you this in the Bible, but I believe this to be true because I just feel it in my heart. I I just know it to be true. Or culture. It's my culture, you know. It's what everyone else is doing. It's the culture. And that's what frames what I believe. You know, children could be riding the coattails of their parents because of culture. That's the way we've always done it. Or science. Uh, We already talked about that. Filtering a worldview or, an, or, or a false ideology across the pages of Scripture and, 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 and separating Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 so they can start millions of years or, or separate chapter 1 and 2 and put a big gap in there so they can put 13 billion years or whatever they want to do with the beginning or the middle of the Bible. And we have godly theolo- theologians whom we trust with the doctrines of salvation only to find them careless with origins and creation. Yeah, here, here's a, a really good theology or systematic theology, but don't pay attention to chapters 2, 4, and 8. Oh, he, they've got a good on propitiation, but they've, they've lost, the, lost it all on creation. How, why is that? Holy words long preserved for our walk in this world. They, they resound with God's own heart. And people that martyred, that shed blood for every word in God's. And we carelessly sometimes go to scripture overlaying those ideologies and, and rewriting God's word. But let's personalize this. We are looking out. What's your authority in life? How are you going to let it shape you biblically? And does that authority remain in you through the thick and thin trials and the joyous blessings of life. You know, on Wednesday, I was sitting across my two sisters. I said, you're single now, so you should be playing the field. You should be enjoying all the pleasures of being single. I said, oh, should I? You know, your sexual lifestyle, you know, you should be going out there and just enjoying yourself. Oh, I should. Uh, You know, and I said, well, I'm under authority. And I said, so it doesn't really matter what you think. It doesn't matter what your ideology is. It really doesn't matter what I think. But I said, it really matters what's in here. And I said, there was a man that lived on this earth 2,000 years ago. And he was, a, he was God and he was man. And he preached this incredible sermon. This was what I was telling them on Wednesday night. And, and there was a whole bunch of people at this sermon. It's probably the best sermon ever preached. And he talked about morality. He talked about what I envision in my mind concerning sexuality or, or anger and those things. And he, he basically is instructing me on how to behave. 
So that's where I get my authority. And, and one of my sisters says, I don't really believe any of that. And filled in the gaps of what, what she believes in to be very important in her life. And she's going to go to heaven. And I said, well, that's what you believe based on you know, your ideology. But I said, the scripture is completely different. And, and I come from a different standpoint. You know, I could have appealed to experiences or culture or tradition and said, oh, that's wrong. Morally, that's wrong. You know, and, that, and that's true in a sense. But the real issue is, is what, I'm, what am I willing to submit myself to as a believer in Christ? And my other sister looked at me with big eyes like that and says, wow, that's really incredible. And I said, what if I did participate in all those actions? And then as an elder in this church, I was going to go up and teach Matthew chapter 5 and 6. What, do you, what would you think of me if you were sitting in the audience and you knew that I was not living out what Christ was preaching? And they, they understood that I would be a hypocrite. But the idea is, is that we, our opinion doesn't matter and it's the authority of God. And what we've been talking about today is that it begins with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 lays the groundwork. We, 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 can, we can only in, internalize the, the word of God when we fear God and we understand who our creator is, right? And we've learned that. And we're going to have a whole session on that. The fear of the Lord. And that's wisdom's beginning. And that's where it all begins. This is a really good book that I wanted you all to know. Um, I had um, a picnic with uh, a few people in Colorado, met um, for the first time Mayhew back in the uh, early 2000s, and he gave me this book, but it's a really good book on taking Proverbs and, and really internalizing it. So it's, it's got a few chapters introduction, and then it takes you through, and you could use this book for over a two or three year period of time if you want to be more serious with Proverbs, and I'd, I'd highly recommend it. There's a contrast. This is our book outline, the contrast between good and evil, the first nine chapters. Um, then we're going to look out the different themes that we're going to pick out. And then we're going to finish up with the words of Agur and, and Limel. Here's the theme statement of Proverbs that I really want to begin with for our study today. And it's uh, on your, in your paper. That, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And fools despise wisdom instruction. That's really the theme statement that we picked out for the entire book. And it's, it's, it's a very, very good entry point. This is what Spurgeon says about wisdom. So you start with fear and then you start with the knowledge. Knowledge is very, very important. He said that wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many people know a great deal and all their greater fools for it. There's no fool so great a fool as to knowing fool. Fool, fool puffs up our pride, doesn't it? I mean, knowledge does. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. And that is what we should think of wisdom, correctly handling the word of God. And that's really what Proverbs 3 is going to be showing us, is to take the knowledge that's in God's word and applying it so that we can in turn live a life that's glorifying to God. Here's the theme of the book. Every human being, without exception, must decide. We all need to decide or must choose a foundational authority in which to build our lives. So Solomon counsels us, and this is really not Solomon. Solomon is counseling his son, right, Rehoboam? Really, it's our heavenly father 
that's counseling each one of us today, sons and daughters, us. He's counseling us to choose God's truth, scripture as our final authority, and then to allow for God's revelation to shape every decision and every detail in every area of life. So we're being challenged today, not by Chaz, not by anyone else, but by God's word. And so there's really one thing, trust. God, we need to t- trust God's word as our final authority and trust it with all of our being. And then number two, obey God's word as our practical authority. In all of our ways, acknowledge him and he will make our path straight. Trust and obey. Sounds like a song. And here's our chapter verse for today, of course, is 5 and 6, 7 and 8. We'll get into that more. We have a section outline, and um, it actually is on your paper, but it, it summarizes, I think, the, the, the whole flow of the book. Uh, first of all, the, it's disciples' glad commitment to trust in Yahweh. That takes us through the, the first 10 verses. And then disciples' lifelong quest for wisdom takes us through verse 20. And then we're going to finish up with the disciples' confident pursuit of integrity. So let's go ahead and read the first section. I'm just going to read these section at a time and then just do a little commentary on each section and then we'll close with um, an application. Does that sound good? I told you it was a long introduction, but I thought, I thought it was really important that we do that. So uh, Proverbs chapter 3, 1 through 10. My son, don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Don't let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you'll find favor and good repute inside of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It'll be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Isn't it interesting? You kind of have this command and blessing, command and blessing. You've seen the construction. The the chiastic structure here is A, B, A, B, A, B, A, B, A, B. These verses follow this alternating pattern of commands and rewards, commands and rewards, commands and rewards. Verse 1 is a command, reward is verse 2. Command is verse 3, a reward is verse 4. A command, verses 5 and 6. A reward, verse 6. Command, verse 7, a reward, verse 8. Command, verse 9, reward, reward, verse 10. I think you're getting the pattern, aren't you? I am. Command, verse 11, reward, verse 12. But you know, we read it and we don't see it, but there's a pattern. There's an intentionality here. That when you obey the Lord, there's, there's, there's an, a reward. There's, there's a good stuff that happens when we fear God and we understand what's in the word, obey it. There's good stuff that, re, that, that results in the life of the believer. Isn't that wonderful? It's right here. And we're not just talking about the cursings and blessings of the law. 
We're talking, that's a general axiom that's good. I mean, we all benefit because we have trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We benefit because the Holy Spirit is living in our life. And it's not just this this eternal thing that we look forward to, but we're benefiting right now, right here, today, because Jesus Christ lives in our hearts. There's obedience and reward tied to our Christian walk. One commentator said this, the kernel of this chapter is found in verse 5. But it's the childlike trust to be seen rooted in these first four verses and expressed by bold obedience with two main key words, trust and obey. So we look at the the exhortation to follow the teacher's instruction in the first stanza. My son, this is individual, not national. This is discipleship. This is instructional. Don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep, keep, military term. Guard it. Keep it. Mind is your total being, as soul. It includes everything. When, when my beautiful bride went home to be with the Lord, one minute she was there, she was looking at me, we were praying, and then a second later, her entire being was gone. It was, just, it was amazing. But that's what that, that word is. It's just the entire being. And commandments, a lot of people say, well, this has got to be the Decalogue. No, it's a gen- it is, it includes the Decalogue, but it includes everything that's in the Word of God. My commandments, law, direction, teachings, your mother's precepts, it's based on the Pentateuch, but it's not identical with it. So it's, it's everything we can apply, everything in the Word of God. And then right away, length of days, and then years of life, and peace. Don't you love that word, Peace. It's kind of that wholeness, that completeness of condition, a general condition of freedom from danger or disturbance. Even though the disturbance is there, remember Romans 8, 28, 29. We're in the middle of this this, this incredible hurricane. We're in the eye of the hurricane sometimes, right? And death and, and all this other stuff, all the trials. But we're right in the middle of that, you know? And 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 we're at peace, right? or can be, when we are obedient to our Lord. So there's an exhortation, and then there's to observe kindness and truth. Don't let kindness leave you or truth. Isn't that interesting that those two words are together? When I first became a believer, I was really abrasive with people. You need Jesus Christ. And I would, I would witness to them. And I would be really abrasive and probably get them angry. And we get in these arguments about creation. You know? But look at this. It's kindness and truth. They're, they're a cl- close friend. Right? And so, so it's interesting. And observe that. Love translates here. Kessid. Loyal. This is, this is your loyal love. But let them be there next to each other. In Genesis 24, 49, so now if you are going to deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. Just just that word, that kindness. In Exodus 34, 6 and 7, the the Lord passed by Moses and, and, and in front of him proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious. So that compassionate comes, compassion comes from our Lord initially. And that's what we need to emulate. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness or steadfast love in Deuteronomy 7, 9. Bind them, bind them on the tablet of your heart. Whenever a a Jew would hear the word tablet, what do you think he's thinking? 
thinking stone tablet. He's thinking Ten Commandments. He's thinking of this, this object that came down from Mount Sinai. But now, for the first time, it's used in relationship tablet of your heart. It's used one other time in the Bible in Proverbs 7.3, the tablet of your heart. So that presupposes it got from here into here. And we know the ministry of the Holy Spirit, right? And he's the one that's transformed us. And he's the one that melts our heart and takes that stone out of our heart and softens it. And we have the word of God etched on our heart. Jeremiah 31, 33, relating to the nation Israel. They're, the nation Israel is going to come alive someday. Uh, our all-millennial folks have thrown Israel under the bus, but we know that they're, they're going to come alive as a nation. And Jeremiah 31, 33 is describing something that takes place in each of the believer's lives for you and me now. But this is the covenant which I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law, my commandments within them on their heart and I'll write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Tablets in the heart. The moral law is not to be accepted as an external code but to be received into the mind and part of the man's nature. Your nature, my nature. Look at verse 4, so you'll find favor and good repute in sight of God and man. Here's another, another blessing. I actually counted 24 commandments in this chapter. You go through, that's a great command. How many commands? Just in the English. I'm sure the Hebrew has different nuances, but I counted about 24 commands and more than 20 blessings in that one chapter. And so there's, I think, I think the Holy Spirit's trying to communicate something to us. And then he gives us a really cool illustration that we'll talk about in a little bit. But look at that. You'll find favor. When we're pleasing God, generally speaking, the people around us are blessed as well. Samuel, the boy Samuel was growing in stature in 1 Samuel 2.26. And he grew in favor both with the Lord and men. Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with what? God and men in Luke 2.52. In 2 Corinthians 8.21, for we have regard of what's honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. So there's just this, this benefit that the people around us benefit when we're growing in the Lord, embracing it. But it takes us to verses 5 and 8, and that's to trust in Yahweh and fear him. Trust in the Lord. Uh, the word is to, to really put all of your weight on the Lord. Trust in God. It, it, the, the connection is to regard him as a source of wisdom and power. Uh, Driver says this is the original idea of, of lying helplessly face downwards is the, the Hebrew word. It'd be like you, you collapse and you're face downward. And you're just totally help. That's You're putting all of your weight down. But, but you're trusting in, in the Lord. So with all your heart, with your whole conviction and the force of the mind, absolutely you are, you are trusting in God and trusting in, 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 in his guidance in your life. And lean not in your own understanding. Lean would be like Samson, you know, between the pillars and leaning. But the, the, uh, the words are very closely connected. 
But lean is not to lie down, but to support yourself. And the idea is, is that don't lean on all of the stuff, philosophies. And sometimes there's this synchronistic thing that goes on, even in evangelical mind, where you're, you're, learn, you're, you're relying on the word, but then you kind of want out of some of the things that you just don't like to, to agree on. Well, I, I, I think that we should do marital sex. A couple might compromise, and so they just kind of say, well, well, we'll dodge that one, and we'll just kind of make our own little um, exception to it. What they're doing is they're leaning on their own understanding. Or I think I'll go ahead and marry that non-believer. Uh, they're, what they're doing is they're leaning on their own understanding. You fill in the blank. You come to a point in your life where you make that compromise or you're tempted to. And that's what the Solomon is saying right here. Don't do that. Recognize him as the unconditional controller over all your willing and your doing, another commentator says. In all your ways... Acknowledge. It's, acknowledge is cool. It's, it's have an intimate acquaintance with, to, to know the divine law, to recognize its supremacy and take it uh, as your guide. And, and what's the blessing? He's going to make your path straight. Isn't that cool? Make your path straight. That's a loaded word. There's a lot of color in that word. It's use of Cyrus in Isaiah 45.13. And here he is, this pagan king that doesn't know anything about theology. And Yahweh says in, in Isaiah 45 that I'm going to make his path straight. I'm going to guide him so that he can serve Israel. That's what he says in, in 45. You know, for the sake of Jacob, my servant, and the Israel, my chosen one, I have called you by your name and I've given you a title of honor, though you have not known me. And that was in verse 4. But in, in, in verse 13, he is going to bring Cyrus to a pointed goal so that Israel can be taken care of in the rebuilding of the temple. But it's to smooth out. It's to make level. It's, it causes all things to work together for good to, to them who are called according to his purpose. So that's really packed into that word. So you could look theologically through the whole Bible and say that God... When we're obeying him and we're, when we're in his word, that he is going to work it out. Well, I don't want to make that decision because I just don't know what's going to happen. I might get fired. Don't worry. He's going to smooth it out. He has a plan. He's going to take care of you. And so you're not making that decision based on the, 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 the effect or what, what's going to happen. You're making it based on God's word. That's what he's saying here. And if he can move a man like Cyrus and he doesn't even know it, how much more is he going to take care of you and me? Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't use your leaning on your understanding is basically what he's saying. In Isaiah 5.21, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. You know, that's, that's, that's really the focus here. And then the next one, fear the Lord. Fearing Yahweh is the departing from sin. Turn away from evil. Fear, And that, there's always that constant. When we fear God, it really regulates, doesn't it? Your behavior, my behavior, when we have that, that, that awe and that respect, it's not a fear I'm going to hell. It's a fear this is the creator of the universe. It's a, it's, he's done so much for me. It's a respect. It's an honor to, to serve him. But yet he is the creator of the universe. I mean, didn't Matthew say that in the New Testament? You know, don't fear those who kill the body. 
but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to. I mean, that, I mean, that's directed to all of us to destroy both soul and body in hell. Well, let's go on. Honor him with our wealth in 9 and 10. There's really a connection here. Uh, Solomon is really telling us that a dedicated income becomes a multiplied one, and, and it's based on a healthy fear of the, the Almighty, then a trust in his complete word, followed by obedience, his commitment to make your path straight, and then it brings you to an appointed goal in your sanctification. One is your ability to, 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 to invest your riches in other people, uh, the church. See, the, it's a 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 when Paul says, you know, the Macedonian people, they shared their wealth out of their poverty. This is the result of a sanctified life. So this isn't an appeal from the pulpit saying you need to give 10%. This is, this is a result, and I, I will tell you all, you are just really putting this to practice at our church. We just, as elders, we just sit back, and Dwight gives a report, and we just, isn't it, it's just a phenomenal, isn't it, Brian? We just say, the giving spirit of this church, and why? Are we preaching tithing every Sunday? No, it's this. People are growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's affecting your hearts, but you see the connection? That's what Solomon is, is really showing us. It begins with the fear and it begins with the, the word of God and, and, and us understanding and, 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 and then we embrace that and it affects our giving. The cost and reward of knowing God in our ways. It's illustrated and now the whole person is involved in honoring God, even what we do with our resources. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. You know, it's easy to look at that, have our little Meme on verse 10, our barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with wine. That, that, make, that makes a really cute little meme, doesn't it, on the internet? And yet we, we, we don't understand what it's in relationship to. I'm not trying to pick on memes. I'm sorry, I like them. But um, it's sometimes when we take the word out of context, it, 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 it minimizes it. We have to go to the next one. Disciples' lifelong quest for wisdom. And that takes us to the next set of verses. Let me read. My son, don't re reject the discipline of the Lord or his reproof for whom the Lord reproves even as the father corrects his son whom he delights. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and for the man who gains understanding for her profit is better than the profit of silver and gain better than fine gold. And she's more precious than jewels and nothing you desire compares with her. Long life is in her right hand and her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who take hold of her and happy are all who hold her fast. Now we have an illustration. Don't lose this. this. This is important to the argument. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps were broken up. And the skies with dew. Why would he include that in that passage right there? So he begins with divine chastening. Oh, no. Uh, where are we going to find wisdom? You know, in Job 28... 
Do, do, we, dig a, do we dig down? Do, do we find it in the depths of the earth? Well, we'll find gold. We'll find, you know, black quartz with gold in it, like on my ring. We'll find all sorts of physical things, but will we find wisdom? And in Job 28, no. The man, he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil, that's understanding. That's, that's where we find it, and we find it in the word of God. But just think about how arduous mining is, how difficult it is. The number of people have lost their lives mining for a substance And then just think about you and I. How much are we mining the word of God each day? And that's a rebuke for me. We have people that will go into eternity mining for gold and silver. And yet they'll ignore the words that are in God's word. And that's the contrast of the childlike trust and what Solomon instructs. And and, and what we should be doing. But, but, but think about this. It's, just think about the words. So he starts out with saying, okay, um, don't reject or don't loathe. There's two Hebrew words. Why, why do you think he put two Hebrew words? Do we all like discipline? Do you like discipline? Anyone who likes discipline, raise your hand. There are no hands. None of us like it, do we? And, and I think it's really important for him to say, okay, if you want to grow and if you want to internalize wisdom in your life, There's only one way it's going to happen. It's through chastening. And I don't think this is punishment. There's some commentators say, well, this is punishment for sinning. No, uh uh-uh. The context here is is discipleship. And I don't know about you, but I know that when I am in hard and tough situations, that's when I pay much more attention to this book than when things are just really going well. Do you have that experience or is that just me? Well, let's just say it's just me. I mean, I just lost my wife, you know, um, eight months ago. And I will tell you, it's it just, I wouldn't, I would not replace the lessons that I've learned in just eight months. And I am a different man uh, just based on the fact that my wife has been ripped away from me and she's in heaven. Maybe that's what God wanted to get my attention. And not that he's punishing me, but he's, he's sensitizing me, sensitizing me to his word sensitizing me to passages of scripture like this. And it's just, it's phenomenal. You know, and she's just sitting back there having a great time and I'm down here. It's a joke. I'm glad she's there. She, she suffered for seven, seven years, as you all know, and we all miss Miss Patty. But we need the whole counsel of God to realize that, 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 that this is really important. And Solomon is saying, don't reject it and don't despise it. For, for in Hebrews chapter 12, if you want to write that down, he's just quoting Hebrews 12. And he's also quoting Revelation chapter 3, verse 19. And there's also a section in Job that he's uh, quoting as well. But, but he's just saying that discipline is important. And, and, and God is going to bring us to that point of finding wisdom. So it's not digging holes in the ground, but it's, it's confronting the situations that we have in life with God's word and growing through that. But isn't that? You know, wisdom's profit makes us richer than money ever will. Better than than silver and gold and jewels. And and the the Hebrew of jewels is kind of the reddish we get from the word Hebrew word. So it's probably rubies is what that is in verse 15. And nothing you desire compares with wisdom. Long life is in her right hand. And gifts are on the left hand. 
Riches and honor, this is incredible. And you, I wanted you to be reminded of what Solomon had. Two trillion dollars was his net worth. And he's saying in this passage that that pales in comparison to wisdom. Something, huh? Do you value God's word like that? Do I? It's far better, as one old commentator said, to traffic for her, even if you're tested like Job, than for treasures of gold and silver. Take hold of her. Grab her. Don't let her go. And happy are those who hold her fast. I mean, this is just a, a grip to her. And then wisdom's fulcrum in creation. Um, the tree of life. He talks about the tree of life. Talking about the benefit, all the fruit. Not the actual tree of life, but he's using it as a metaphor. That it's like a tree of life. You, in the tree of life, you know, you eat it and you, you lived a long time. And that's the implication there. And then he, he takes us to the next point, And he uses creation. So he's talked about Adam and Eve and the tree of life in a, in a metaphor. And then he goes back one step and then talks, okay, well, let me talk about wisdom in relationship to the creation of the heavens and the earth. You, you want wisdom? Well, well, I needed it to create the heavens and the earth. A lot of people personify wisdom in Scripture and say, well, this is Jesus Christ. That's not the point. He used wisdom to create the heavens and the earth. So you may be persecuted or you may be going through heavy trials, but you need to see past that and realize that it's those trials that you're going through that are going to get you to the point where that wisdom becomes part of you so that you can live and behave and enjoy all of the benefits that God is promising you. But it's going to be hard. Those are hard tests, aren't they? I mean, many of you are in, in hard struggles right now, and I get it. You know, we as elders, we, we know a lot about what's going on. But only to know that God is using those to, for a goal. And, and if you start doubting it, just think, well, God, if you want that wisdom, if you want to lay hold and grab it, just think about how priceless it is. This isn't gold or silver. This is, this is creation. And that's why that is included at the tail end of that, the disciples' lifelong quest for wisdom. you got to motivate yourself. And when you're in those times of struggle, go back to Genesis chapter 1 and marvel in the creation and marvel in the wisdom of God that, 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 that orchestrated his mind and, and put into effect all that we experience today. God in the creation of the universe. Wisdom's fulcrum in creation. That takes us to the third point. We've looked at the disciples' glad commitment to trust in Yahweh, the disciples' long, lifelong quest for wisdom, which includes struggles and, 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 and trials. And then the disciples' confident pursuit of integrity. And I'll read that. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness, verse 18. My fruit is better than gold. Even pure gold and yield better fruit than choice of silver. I walk the way of righteousness in the midst of paths of justice. This is wisdom. To endow those who love me with wealth that I might fill their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning his way before his works of old. From everlasting I was established from the beginning of the earliest times of earth. And now I'm reading from Proverbs chapter 8 verse 18. And you can't find what I'm reading from. I meant to do that. 
So let's go to verse 24 of chapter 3. And those who are listening online, that's, um, that's my mistake for today. I always have one mistake. Verse 24, chapter 3. Thank you for your patience. But we will be covering that. Isn't that a cool chapter? And I'm almost glad it expands on the creation. I was thinking, you know, I didn't remember reading that in chapter 3, verse 24. When you lie down, is that right? When you lie down, did I get that right? Is that right? Okay, just want to make sure. When you lie down, you'll not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Wow. Do you like to sleep at night in a sweet sleep? Wow. Do not be afraid of sudden fear nor of onslaught of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and it will keep your foot from being caught. Nor withhold good from those to whom it is due when it's in your power to do it. Don't say to your neighbor, go and come back and tomorrow I'll give it when you have it within you. And don't devise harm against your neighbor while he lives securely beside you. Don't be contend with a man without cause if he has done you no harm. And don't let envy of a man of violence and don't choose any of his ways. For the devious are abomination to the Lord, but he is intimate with the upright. The curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted. And wise will inherit honor, but fools display dishonor. You know, there's a quiet integrity that first begins with the, the trust of verses 1 through 12, seen in the wisdom gained in 13 through 26, and now this quiet discretion, quiet integrity that's fleshed out in these verses that I just read. God is, is really is, is working in the life of an individual, how he treats those who are working for him. In that day, in that culture, you know, someone worked for you, and the money they got that day, they got buy food. So it's really a commandment. It goes back to Leviticus. If you withhold that money, their whole family's going to go hungry. And they're going to cry out that night and say, Lord, he didn't pay me. I'm hungry. And God's going to hear the prayers. And God is saying, I, don't, you should, I shouldn't be hearing those prayers about you. And, and, and we talk about a peaceful sleep, safety, in the future, avoidance of troubles, life referred, beauty and possession. I'm not going to develop all those, but that's in there. And then you have these, these, these other things, do nots. You have five do nots in, in verses uh, 25 on. It's, it's interesting. He said, don't be afraid, you know. And then the other do nots, you see it right there. So we're, we're going to go past that. But that's the fact that the blessing is, is you're going to walk in your way securely and your foot won't stumble. When you lie down, you'll not be afraid. It sounds like Psalm 23. And all of these are benefits of obedience, benefits of, of just putting God's word first. And the God is going to be our confidence. Confidence is really mentioned twice in this section. And he will keep your foot from being. Pursuing neighborly kindness would be another way of, of dividing this whole thing. There's really three different types of relationships if you wanted to go back. And you could group it that way. I grouped it differently on this outline. There's three relationships in this last segment. The idea in the Hebrew is that injustice is really tied to the delay in some of those verses. If you, 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 if, if you withhold, withhold, withhold in the, these, these, these verses means you're delaying and it's an injustice. Someone's going to go away hungry. Someone's going to go away not getting paid. So you're, you're cheating someone out of money. 
And that's, that's really our, our focus here. So we're going to go ahead and just go right to the, the implications. This chapter is our discipleship you know, manual. And, and it, it really carries some, some interesting implications. And, and I'm going to start really from the, really from the strategic you know, level at the 30,000 foot. And so how do you respond to the fear of the Lord? There's really four responses to the fear of the Lord. Uh, those who have no fear or the outcome of their sin. This would be someone who's just is an unbeliever and they just don't care. No fear, no results. You know, they, they just, I don't really care. And then there's um, those who have no fear of the outcome of their sin. And then two, those who fear the consequences of their sin. There are a lot of people who do. But then they resort to methods that are beyond God's word. But they reject God's redemption. So they, you know, you may have people that are Mormon or Jehovah Witness. Or they've come up with an ideology that helps them, you know, get past that. So they think in their minds they're going to have, you know, an eternal time with the Lord in heaven. And then, of course, there are those who care about their sin but don't have the right relationship with the Lord. You know, they care. They're guilted. Um... They may have been like my mom, you know, who felt so guilty about putting me up for adoption, but she couldn't deal with it from, she just couldn't deal with it. And the way she dealt with it was trying to get back in touch with me and then ask forgiveness, which was a horizontal way. But ultimately, it was a, a quick fix for her because she kept on bearing the guilt of that, which I assured her, you, I'm, she made the right decision, but yet she was feeling that. And then, of course, the last category most of you are in this category those who affectionately fear God because they are redeemed and because they care greatly about minimizing sin in their lives and that's where most of you are right we care about God we care about our sin we first John 1 9 we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, and the the real important thing is is that if if you're not in category four and that would be my plea to you that would be our elders, that would be, um, you know, Dwight and Brian, that if you're not in category four, I would just plead with you today to, to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If, if what I've said today, even in chapter three, is totally foreign to you, that you can't even relate to it as a disciple, and you get to the, you know, say, well, that's me in number one, or I think I'm number two, or I think I'm number three. If you're in any one of those categories, please don't delay. Use this as, a, as just that. Remember we talked about the kessed, the, the loving kindness, the steadfast love of the Lord. He, he is, he's got his arms open wide. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And that begins with salvation, doesn't it? <laughs> you know, when we come to Christ, that's exactly what we're doing. Like a little child, we're trusting unilaterally in the word of God. But then it gets back to our theme statement, doesn't it? So for all of those who are your number four, you know, our Heavenly Father challenges us today and from this day forward to make two foundational commitments, right? Decide what the authority is in our life, in our daily practice is really what this is talking about. You know, trust God's word is your final authority, you know. I mean, some, some, and I've had discussions. Some of us have a hard time with Genesis or, or other parts of the Bible, you know, just Understand that, that, that there is faith, a lot of faith to, to trust it. But just trust it. Just embrace it. 
And if you do have any questions, like in origins, that seems to be something that people keep on coming up with. You know, talk to me. There, there are really good science out there that affirms the things that are in Genesis. If you have some legitimate questions, we're not going to bite your head off. We as elders, we, we just want to answer those questions. But if you have any questions concerning the authority of God, please come. And, and that's what my dad did. He went down to San Diego and talked to Dr. Henry Morris. And I'm glad he did because that's why I'm here today. So, so do that. And then obey as your practical authority. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Let's pray. Our Father, a lot to cover today. But I just thank you, Father, for the privilege of, of having this as an assignment. I have never looked at this chapter um, holistically, if you will. I thank you for Solomon. and Father, certainly, you know, in most of his life, anyway, he was, he was sincere. And then, of course, some bad decisions were made and and um, there were a number of people in his immediate sphere of influence that, that, that caused him or he allowed to, to uh, get him off the path, off that, that, that beaten path. And, and um, until we get to the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, just uh, really did lean on his own understanding. He, he started adding to your word. He started looking at philosophies and reasonings and, and things outside your word and tested things that were beyond your word. And that's where he got into trouble, taking things to a max, seeing if there were things outside of your word that made sense that he could apply to his life. And, 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 and just, it was, a, it was a plane crash. And so I just pray, Father, that we would examine our hearts. This is really a daily practice. You know, there's so many influences in our lives. Now that we have these phones that we carry around that have all of these messages, Facebook, uh, social media, all of these voices that, that whisper in our ears that we would just be sensitized to filtering everything through your clearly communicated word. So we just thank you. I, I pray, Father, for me that, that I would... Uh, exemplify the message today and help me to be on my knees all the time in humility receiving the word implanted which is so important and just we pray all these things in, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.